From the Finley Toyota Studio, it's Coalfield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. American and fight for what's right. Fight for your life. Right? Did I get that right? Somewhere around there. Sounds about right. It's by Rick Derringer. I thought it was Hulkster singing. So I guess it's an actual song. So I got the answer to my question. It was Hulkster singing. There'd probably be some racial epithets in there. Yeah. The irony of the line, I would fight for every man. Yeah. <laughs> Just stay away from his daughters. All. <laughs> See? That's what you do. We're still getting I, – I wanted to call because, look, we, we, we finish our threads here. Um, we, we did get to the bottom of it. Movie phone no longer exists. And it's also now, apparently I remembered wrong what the number was. Yeah, what, so what was 777? 777 film. Okay. Also, we were, I was astonished to learn that it was sold for $388 million to AOL in 1999. What an, what an investment. That's, that's insanity. That's also, yeah, like you said. People I, will always be getting their movie times from movie phone. I, I, right? Like, what's the thinking there? You have to have an idea, like, especially if you're AOL. Right? You see where you see things are going. Like instant messengers becoming a thing. Like you understand where the internet's going. Why would you shell out $388 million for that? Unless there's, we could be wrong. We don't know anything about big business. Like unless there's some proprietary information that was involved in we're buying movie phone because they get all, they have the database of all the movie times like in one yeah. place. And then we're getting that to then distribute on a different platform. Okay. Maybe that could explain it. I like to think that there was some AOL like, exec like, this internet thing, it's going to fail. It's not going I'm telling anywhere. you. You know what the future is? Movie phone. Someone told me they'd be looking They'd be looking at movie times on their phone, and I laughed at them. It's never going to happen. There had to be some sort of proprietary information that was involved in that. I mean, it would be a terrible investment. Otherwise. That would be like buying one of the biggest social media sites in the world. We're running it into the and ground. Running it into the ground with a lot of dumb decisions. Discouraging people from using it. But that would never happen. The 5 O'Clock Frenzy is presented by Nova Home Loans. Call 577-2600 for help in buying a new home. Man, we're good at this thing. should just call this not Cofield and Company. <laughs> the the energy's palpable. Von Tobel and his... Von Tobel and his vatos. Yeah, because you're not in control. Usually it's Hill, Hill and his homies, homies. But today it's Von Tobel and his vatos. Uh, all right, before we get to the NBA, big weekend, kind of, for VGK? Roster's pretty much set, right? Yeah. Um, I, I will say this was uh, something that our friend Willie kind of predicted, well, at least half of it, and uh, I did not think it was possible. But uh, the big move that's happened in the last you know, six, you know, five, six days, whatever we want to go back, would be Aiden Hill re-signing, okay. which I thought he would have priced himself out with a performance in the postseason uh, it tends to be what happens in these situations where a player may not have been, you know, a huge free agent, you know, hugely on the free agent radar. They have this big performance in the postseason, and somebody gives them a ton of money. And if that would have happened, I don't think the Knights could have been in the mix. Um, I thought maybe six million, maybe even if somebody got ambitious, seven for Aiden Hill. He settles for less than five with the Golden Knights, which I do believe is a hometown discount. Uh, maybe he could have got a little bit more elsewhere, but you do have to take into consideration, and, and I, I don't think enough people talk about this, especially nationally, 
the favorable tax situation here mm-hmm. where 4.9 million here is like making like six somewhere else um, especially if it was you know certain places where you'd go play uh, so I, I think the the Knights are a huge beneficiary in that and Aiden Hill wanted to stay around obviously he's he's shown his love of the city he's embraced the history but wearing the Larry Johnson jersey at the parade everything else um, and he's going to be a hero here forever so uh, why not take advantage of that uh, while you can so good for the Golden Knights to to keep him around we'll see what that means for Logan Thompson I, I think that there's a possibility Logan Thompson probably wants out but at the same time if I was the Golden Knights I wouldn't be getting rid of him. He's a great option to pair with Aiden Hill. They work well together, so why get rid of him? They have three? I know Leonard was on long-term IR. Sure. So what happens to him? I mean, he's clearly – It's a big mystery. He's clearly I mean, the odd man out, right? I think they're – well, I, I don't – my guess is they probably don't want him to be around. My, I think ultimately what they really want is for Robin Leonard to come to training camp and fail a physical, which means they can just put him right back on LTIR. Yeah. Um, if, he, if he doesn't fail a physical – the issues begin. Um, they could try to buy him out, but how much of a buyout would he accept knowing the financial issues that he has right now? Right. And he could make the full amount just by staying around. Um, they could really mess with him and send him to the minors and maybe even not Henderson. Send him even lower in the system because Henderson would be too favorable and try to get him to just quit. Like, that's possible. I mean, in my mind, I think if he's healthy and he's ready to go, like I would, lo- that'd be a luxury I would love to have if I was the Golden Knights. But right. um, they also are not. That's not how they're handling this offseason, as if they believe Robin Leonard will be a part of it. So I, I think there's a lot of moving pieces in terms of what's going to happen, and it all starts with how healthy he is. Hmm. No way they would trade him for pennies on the dollar. It's possible if somebody wants to give up something for it, or maybe they'd have to give up a pick to get somebody to take him. Right. But I think there's going to be a lot of negotiations of how they can handle this. Because to your point, I would feel like maybe if I'm somebody out there, if I can get him for extremely cheap and say, oh, why not? Let's see if this yeah. hits. If I was a team, I would love to make that move. Because if he's going to be anything like, you know, when he was, what, two years ago now? When, when he plays. He's good. He's real good. Yeah. And when he's healthy, he's elite. So, you know, I, I get how people feel about him and why. But I would love to see where he's at, where he's at right now. If he was healthy, he's a guy I would love to have on my team. Yeah, looking at cap friendly. So, yeah, Aiden Hill, Logan Thompson, you're two now. Obviously still on long-term IR with Robin Leonard. You know the date on that, like when he would have to come off? So it would have to be training camp, physical, and then – Training camp. Yeah. So you still got some time to figure out what you're going to do. Yeah. I think you'd have to tell the season starts to figure <laughs> it out. But it's all going de- to depend – everything will hinge on how, if he passes a physical. I mean, VGK is pretty cutthroat, but sending him down to, like, <laughs> the lowest level possible to break his morale would be <laughs> insanity. It's it's a Golden Knights move. That's crazy. That's why they win the cup. I mean, you're right. Like I was amazed. Can I just say this really quickly? Um, I apologize. The name escapes me. Who was just uh, traded last week? Oh, Riley Smith. Riley Smith. Thank you. Um, I saw, like again, questioning from Vegas Golden Knights fans of this you front mean, office. You mean a lot of the fans that said they would never cheer for the team again after they got rid of Flurry and then were at the parade? I, like <laughs> I was. I'm watching these people complain about these moves, and I'm like, now. You're the champions! To be fair, I did see a lot of, you know what, this is the kind of moves I'd be very mad about, but what can I say now they won? Those are realistic. I saw a lot of like, great, only took me a week to start hating this front (laughs) office again. You just won the Stanley Cup! How can you question this front office at this point? Ever! Seriously. I I don't. Like, I'm I'm amazed by some of the, the reaction. 
when it comes to some of these moves? They've shown not only cutthroat, but they've been right about so many things. I'm getting rid of guys yes. at the right time. Um, look at I me, mean, Flurry just fell off a cliff after they got rid of him. People thought he should stick around. Like a lot of and Max Patch already got hurt. Like as soon as they got rid of him, like they've kind of shown some foresight and get rid of some guys. All right, let's take a break early. Uh, we're going to have a Vegas theme here. When we come back, Paul Seawald's going to join us. Seattle Mariners closer. i got a lot to talk about in terms of baseball out here in Las Vegas, a camp that they're putting together. But it's a really good hit because uh, it's, not, it's not very often you get to have like a 15-minute conversation with a closer of a baseball team in the middle of a regular season. You're listening to Cofield & Company on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, let's welcome in our guest here, Paul Seawald. It's nice enough to give us some time today. Relief Farm for the Seattle Mariners, also a Las Vegas local. Mariners, uh, Paul, you guys are out in uh, San Francisco today, correct? We're in San Francisco for a couple of days, and we head to Houston before the uh, before the All-Star break. So a little travel before we uh, before we get some time off. So Adam was just making fun of me. Uh, my wife and I actually just left from San Francisco. We are out there on vacation, and we went out to catch the tail end of the Giants D-back series. I wanted to ask you, do you take in ballparks like us mere mortals do? Because – like, I was walking around. That ballpark's awesome. I got to go check out the brats in left field, got some garlic fries. I would assume you don't consume ballparks the way us mere mortals do, but is that not the case? What do you think of that field out there? Uh, we don't get to – I don't get a ton of time where the fans get to go around and check out the field, but we all – everyone has their favorite field. Everyone has, um, you know, their, their opinions about, you know, the clubhouse or the bullpen and is a big thing for me, obviously – uh, but everyone has their favorites and, and their least favorites, and, and Oracle Park is, is one of the best, my top three in the league. So uh, I'm excited to come back. I haven't been back. This is my first time in five years, so uh, it'll be it'll be fun to come back. I guess what makes it cool for you guys? I mean, I, there's a lot of things for us. Like, you know, I was just uh, in San Diego. Petco is amazing, too, in the area around it. Um, but for us, it's like what's in the stands, what's in the concession stands, that sort of thing. Is it is it like the clubhouse for you, or is it kind of the same things? Aesthetically, do you, do you look what a ballpark looks like? Aesthetically, it goes a long way. I mean, okay. there's nothing like a day game at Oracle Park, and you just have the bay right there. And and Peco, I mean, Peco is one of the best, one of the best in the league too. And uh, they have a great pen, and just I, I just everything about the vibes. But the clubhouse does go a long way. Obviously, that's where we spend most of our time. If you can make sure that you know they have good food, or the weight room is good, or the training room is okay, and that sort of thing goes a long way in uh, in you know the fact that we're there for 10, 11 hours a day. It's kind of important to make sure that place is nice. Too. Yeah, what are you doing in the bullpen all game? <laughs> I mean, it, there's so many games to watch all year long. You're in the bullpen. There's got to be just different things that go on. There's got to be a way to kill time out there. There's a there's a lot of conversations about non baseball things. <laughs> um, a lot of top a lot of top tens, a lot of top fives, trying to come up with different topics of you know what's your favorite um, you know. Christopher Nolan movies, what's your favorite TV show character? Like, you know, you just get on you just get on tangents, obviously. And, you know, we're so lucky that we have great starting pitching. So for the most part, we don't have to do it. We don't have to do a lot for the first five innings. So we get uh, we get a lot of time down there just to mess around. Paul Seawald with us. For those who don't know, uh, a Vegas native. And, uh, Paul, I guess we actually both went to Bishop Gorman. I was like a year behind you. I'm sure you remember me. I was very popular and famous. So uh, I'm sure the name rings a bell. But for anybody who's wondering, you know, we are having you on because you guys do have something cool coming up out here in Las Vegas, a four-day college development clinic at the end of July. Uh, walk some of our listeners through this and what you guys are going to be doing at the end of July. Yeah, it's just is really important. You know, um, Donnie Roach and I kind of put the baseball lab together, um, you know, as, as we were trying to figure out what, what the next steps are for trying to get kids in Las Vegas to, uh, to get to that next level, just like we had in 
you know, we just feel like we have so much, so much experience that, uh, that has led us to, you know, obviously the pinnacle of baseball and we want to get back and, and Donnie's doing an incredible job of that, you know, while I'm still kind of playing and, and, you know, he, he's put together a lot of this, a lot of this, um, this camp that we just want, we just want to give everything that we can have to these kids to show them exactly what, you know, they need to do to get to the next level. We each went to high division one colleges and we, then we got to the pros and we kind of figured out, you know, everyone knows that, you know, as you go through experiences, you get a little bit wiser and trying to figure out exactly what you, what you wish you would have known in that situation. And, and all, all this is, is we're just trying to give back everything that we know in this situation, try and make, uh, try and make these experiences easier for kids, you know, how to get, how to get, you know, tape to college recruiters, how to have these conversations with scouts, um, these sorts of things that, you know, if it's your first time and you don't have somebody guiding you, it, it, it's a really overwhelming process. A lot of great information I don't think people think of. A lot of people think like, hey, just play baseball and, and you know, you'll be right. fine. I'll take care of itself. But there is a lot of other factors that go into it. And you talk about helping guys make it. Like, there's so many guys that have made it from Vegas now. What is that fraternity like around the league? There's got to be almost every series you're playing against somebody that came out of Vegas or you know from growing up. That's got to be a cool feeling, too. It's. I mean, it's really great. And a lot of us, you know, everyone in the Vegas community knows that, you know, has, as we're getting to over 2 million people, it just feels like the baseball community is still very small. Everybody who played baseball in town is very familiar with each other. There's, you know, we do our live VPs before the season starts and, you know, all the pitchers will get together and we'll face hitters. And, um, you know, it's just this respect of, Hey, you're from Vegas and, and we're just excited to rep our city. And, um, you know, we have, we've had some, obviously some superstars that have really put it on the map, but, um, the quantity, like you guys talk about is is really growing and it's, it's really, you know, I feel proud to be, you know, a Las Vegas resident. I know I show that as much as I can. And, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty fun to see, you know, friends of mine doing great things across this league. And you talk about being a Las Vegas resident, obviously a big moment in Las Vegas sports, the Golden Knights winning a title. Uh, you were, you were into the team. I feel like, I mean, I know I saw you in Washington uh, before a Stanley Cup final a couple of years ago. So I have to assume you were following closely. What did it feel like to see the Golden Knights win the Stanley Cup? It was on. It was unbelievable. I know everyone here in Seattle was uh, was pretty darn annoyed that we just kept winning and kept winning, and I kept wearing my jersey to the field every day. And um, I was I was I was pretty obnoxious and in a positive way, I think. And um, you know, we had the games going. Every single game was on was on every single TV we had in the clubhouse. Um, it was it was pretty fun. I just wish uh, you know I talked to the manager. I kind of wanted him to throw me three games in a row before Game Five, so I could have gone. And you know, he just didn't listen. You know, he put the team first instead of instead of my golden knight wishes. Um, but it was pretty amazing just to get to watch that. And, um, you know, what a moment, what a moment for, for a first team, first professional team in the big major sports of, uh, of Vegas. And, and, um, you know, as a former season ticket holder, it was pretty special to watch. Were, were you able to watch? Because I know, like, they, they interviewed Bryce Harper about it, and his story was that, he, especially on the game-winning, uh, or excuse me, the, the last game of the series, he made sure the clubhouse TV was on, so that every time he walked by it, he could see it. How were you able to watch it? Were you were you playing? What was that dynamic like? So it started at 5 o'clock our time, and our game was until, until 7. So, um, you know, I, I got out to the 10 a little bit later than I probably should have <laughs> that night. But you know, not throwing into the ninth inning, I, I kind of felt like it was going to be okay. But I stayed in and watched. Uh, I watched probably until the last like five minutes. It kind of was. I, I felt like at nine to three, we pretty much had it, and uh, they didn't need me to keep watching anymore. But it was uh, it was special to get to watch that, especially you know, we have a couple of uh, we have a couple really big Kraken fans as our as our in our clubhouse, and you know, I was watching it with them, and um, obviously they were a little sour. It wasn't them, but they were excited that it, you know it was a Western Conference team nonetheless.
That's Paul Seawald, Las Vegas, of the Seattle Mariners. And, like, you talk about that being a blowout. That was helpful because you had to go out and play a game, I guess. But you have to you have to prefer a close game, right? As a, as a guy who closes, you have to like the pressure. I'm sure you wanted to watch a closer game, a more, a more competitive game to the end. I enjoy playing in the pressure. I don't like watching pressure. <laughs> I like I like blowout. I like blowouts for my favorite teams. I don't I don't need to, I have enough pressure in my job. I don't need it as a fan as well. So a 9 to 3 was exactly what I needed. So Paul, so Paul, as we're talking about and bringing this back to the camp that you guys are going to have and, and talking about youth baseball, uh, out here in Las Vegas, is there a unique challenge in getting kids in term, into baseball just to the fact that baseball play during the summer months? We know how brutal it can be. Is there something unique about getting kids into baseball around this time of year out here in Las Vegas? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really difficult. It, you know, you can't blame parents and you can't blame kids for not wanting to be out in 110-degree heat. Um, I don't blame them. Obviously, in the major leagues, we have domes for stuff like that. So um, it is really difficult. But we, you know, we are so lucky that you can play, you know, towards the winter months where in a lot of places they don't have that luxury. And so, um, you know, we capitalize on the fact that we don't have rain a ton. We don't have a snow a ton. We can make sure that we get kids out there. And I think, I think that's a big reason why we're kind of joining in that, like, Arizona, Southern California uh, realm of having so many players is that you can play at all times of the year, and that's really how you get better is to just continuously play and play and play, um, and we're lucky to have that luxury. And um, Yeah, so, I mean, the camp, the camp is going to be so great because it's not necessarily just about playing and making sure you're getting better in the summer months, but these are going to be things that you can take into the fall season, which has become a really, really big scouting and college development time period. That's when college coaches can come to more games. That's when Scouts can come to more games, and that's that's really when you know when you think about baseball, you think of the summer, but the fall is becoming one of the biggest times for these kids to uh, to progress and to show exactly what they can do. So um, I think I think getting getting a couple of hints and getting a couple of uh, ideas and how to market yourself and make sure that you you are prepared for the call co- for the college game or for you know if you're lucky enough for that professional baseball, I think I think that's what the camp's going to help you with as you get into the fall, and this really becomes a big thing. So uh, for those who want information, thebaseballlablv.com, you can check on information on the camp. It's going to be July 24th through the 27th over there at Palo Verde High School. For more information, check out the website. So I've got a four-year-old. Um, how do I get him into baseball? I've started to strap his right arm down so he doesn't use it anymore, so he can be specifically be a lefty. Uh, what other ways can I berate him into playing baseball? But in all seriousness, you know, how did you get started, and how did you get introduced to the sport and how kids can start getting introduced to it? Because my kid is at the age where he is starting to get into sports a little bit, started soccer, and he's showing interest. Yeah. Yeah. So my dad played, my dad played college baseball at Loyola Marymount in Los Angeles and he was drafted. And so it was obviously a big part of his life. And, um, you know, it was, there were toys, obviously there were toys just like every other kid, but you know, the first time I got a ball, that was all I needed. And, um, then my parents quickly figured out that my brother and I, all we needed is a ball and a bat and then we can make the rest happen. And, um, I think that's just the easiest way It's just to get a tee, just to get a bat, just to get some foam balls out in the yard and just let them whack balls and get excited about, you know, hitting a ball and seeing how it goes or, or tossing it and, and playing catch. And, um, you know, Little League is so great. It, it, it makes sure that everyone gets at-bats as often as you can. It, you know, promotes a little bit more fun. Um, and, you know, and then you just, you just let it happen organically. And, and hopefully, you know, hopefully people like Shohei Otani, if you get to watch Shohei Otani on TV, just make you understand that this is the greatest sport in the world. And, um, you know, we're just so thankful for super superstars like that to try and market our game. So, Watching and playing as much as possible, that's what I always did. And, you know, I don't want to say that's how I got here, but, you know, it made me fall in love with the game nonetheless. Like, that guy's pretty decent, huh? He's okay, and it's, just a, it's tough to talk about him as often as we have to in our own division. Um, you know, but he's, uh, he's, 
a superstar, a freak of nature that is just in the most positive way, and I just don't understand it. I don't, I don't know how you can do all that at the same time. I have enough problems just worrying about you know, my own time, and I don't know how in 24 hours a day you could be so good at, at everything. It's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, I don't think – it's been a while since you hit, but I don't think your offense – I looked them up earlier. Your offensive numbers aren't quite Otani level. No, they're about as bad as it gets. My one sacrifice bunt is probably all I have to my name, unfortunately. And, um, yeah, Coach Chef and Gorman would be pretty disappointed that that's all I've, that's all I've come up with. But, um, you know, big league pitching is a little bit better than the high school pitching I saw 12 years ago. Yeah, pretty good, especially you. You're a good pitcher. Luckily, you don't have to face yourself because uh, right. you've been dealing as well. Uh, speaking of division rivals, Paul, one of them is moving to Las Vegas. Um, probably. Yes. We don't know yet for sure. I guess – is that in your mind, if if it is 2028, like, is that something in your mind of like just wanting to be around and, and playing then and being able to play in Las Vegas? And also we're speaking of youth baseball. What does that do for, for the baseball community in Vegas to have a team potentially being here? Yeah. I mean, per, we'll start personally. Um, I definitely think it would be pretty cool to maybe, you know, you're talking about 2027, 2028, maybe finish my career as, as a hometown uh, Las Vegas. A. I, you know, that would be pretty special. I think it would be a pretty nice little last rendezvous last season, kind of take that in. Um, so I definitely will keep my eye out. I, my agent already knows that if that's going to happen, let's take a look at it. Um, so that'd be pretty special. But yeah, when you talk about, you know, getting with the youth, anyone who has realized how big the Golden Knights have been for youth hockey in Las Vegas, and Las Vegas is not necessarily a hockey uh, haven like the Northeast is or like like Minnesota is. So I just we already have a great baseball sector in Las Vegas. Now you're going to add the fact that we can have a major league team. You can go see major league players on a regular basis. You can see exactly, like like I say, you can watch games on TV, but there's nothing like going to a game. Anyone who's been to a major league game knows that like half of the major league environment is going to a major league game and getting the smells and the sights and the whole thing. And um, I just think that's really what's going to draw kids to falling in love with baseball. It's just so much better when you get to go to a game. Um, and what what major league teams can do for their community is incredible. You know, we have, we have camps with the Mariners that, you know, get kids out there and you can run on the field before the game and, and all these little league days and that sort of thing. And that's what, what, that's really what I think is going to bring a huge amount of kids back into baseball in Las Vegas. And um, it's already growing. And, and when we get a major league team, I think it's going to skyrocket. Paul, great, great stuff. We we appreciate your time. Obviously, uh, we mentioned the camp, and you also have some stuff going on in Seattle. I think it's very important that people know uh, what else you're working on. Yeah, so my wife and I, Molly and I, had uh, had our daughter Chloe almost two years ago now, and um, anyone who's been a parent like Jonathan, like you're saying, when you have your kid, everything changes, and, and we just realized how difficult it is to be a parent, um, and we have all the resources in the world, and we, you know, we just think of, you know, single parents or parents working two or three jobs to help their kids. And um, we found We found a really great organization kid Vantage, here in Seattle that, uh, that does everything for underprivileged kids and, and families that just need resources and they need formulas, diapers, they need help, you know, installing car seats correctly. Anyone who's had to do that in the last 10 years knows that every single one is different. Um, we get jackets, um, anything kids need in the Seattle area, kid Vantage can get it for them. And, and we have a pledge going on where I strike out. Every time I strike somebody out, we donate $400 towards Kid Vantage, towards these kids. And uh, it's a really great campaign that we're super excited about. And um, I know people in Las Vegas may not have a direct correlation to Kid Vantage, but hopefully, hopefully you have a direct correlation with, with maybe, you know, um, kids that really could use that in our area. And hopefully, hopefully this touches you. And, and uh, you can go on my social media pages, my Instagram or my Twitter. I have the links 
to our project campaigns. And, um, you know, we just think it's a really fun, fun way to, uh, we call it a win-win-win. Every time I strike somebody out, um, it's good for me, it's good for the Mariners, and, and it's good for kids in our area. Again, you can check out uh, that and, of course, the uh, camp that Paul's talking about, the thebaseballlablv.com for information. Paul, uh, we appreciate some time today, man. Thank you very much. Uh, good luck with the rest of the season, dude. Love being on. I appreciate you guys. You got it. Thanks, Again, man. Paul, see you all. We'll be back. I was talking after a game like a week ago, and I was just like, they was asking me about Dame, but like to win a ring. And, and I'm like, bro, I don't need to prove to y'all that I want to win a ring. Why the hell do I play? Like, I don't need to prove that to y'all, but we cannot keep acting like, while I understand we play to win championships, we all want to win a championship. We can't keep acting like nothing matters. Like the rest of the stuff, the journey doesn't matter. We can't keep doing that. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota studio. Damian Lillard on JJ Reddick's podcast, Old Man in the Three. Of course, the center of attention is he's uh, finally requested his trade from the Portland Trailblazers to break that down and more. Danny Marings with us, host 1080 The Fan out in Portland. Danny, we appreciate the time today. Uh, so I wanted to start with like the whole process overall. I kind of thought this whole thing was handled somewhat oddly. Like Portland saying, like, yep, we're going to try to build a contender and then making every single move possible to, like, not really do that for Dame. And then also on Dame's side, kind of not seeing the writing on the wall on a team that had a lot of young assets and wasn't really in position to win a championship. Like, how did we get to this point? I thought it was an odd direction for both parties to get here. Uh, I think both parties wanted to kind of go that route. Uh, But the reality of it all was the – Ooh, maybe let's try to call him back. Yeah, technology. You guys got me. Oh, oh I got you. Yo, Danny, you go. you're back. Yes, technology is a fickle thing. Go ahead. Yeah, I live. I live out in the country, so okay. <laughs> welcome to it. Um, the, the idea of all of this just—I mean, it, it didn't just materialize over the last couple months. It's—it's it's really been there since the last draft. I mean, they—they they targeted OG Anobi at the draft last year. Masai um, Ujiri and the Raptors wanted significantly more. And that kind of was the first, you know, demarcation point. Uh, at the trade deadline this past year, they went after Mikhail Bridges, and the Nets said no. Uh, then they get to this point where, you know, I kind of got a heads-up Sunday night that a meeting was happening on Monday. That, you know, if, if they aren't able to make a deal happen, you know, post-draft this week after taking Scoot Henderson and Chris Murray and Ryan Repair, that, that was going to be it. And so they revisited the whole idea of OG Anobi with the Raptors again after Fred Van Vliet left for Houston and left an opening. And, well, Messiah Cherry and the Raptors kind of self-immolated, let themselves on fire. They said, we're going to run this back instead. And that was the end of it. But there was a desire on both sides to show a commitment towards getting impact pieces, if not the biggest piece, right away. Uh, the front office here believed that they could find a way to make Scoot uh, Henderson and Shaden Sharp work. Um, I I don't know how that works, <laughs> to be honest, because Dame and Scoot can't share the court. Uh, it's just not something that works. But asset-wise, they felt like both those guys were more valuable than what they would get in, in return, enough so that they wouldn't pull the trigger on a deal. The thing about this is now that we're here with a hindsight, they probably should have separated two years ago when Neil O'Shea got fired. I think both sides would probably agree that was the case, but neither side wanted to be the bad guy at that point in time, even though they had the ability to probably under the guise of Neil O'Shea's termination. But now, now it's, it's about, you know, 
what's best for Damian Lillard? What's best for the franchise? It's uh, how we got here stuff is, is going to be a footnote uh, based on you know, what the deal ends up looking like. We say that. I think it's it's easy to say. It's a, it's astute point, but it's also it's easy to say now in retrospect. Hey, they should have separated. But like, was there ever a chance to make it work? Like, was it foolish to even try? Where they should have just given it up, or did they just miss a couple spots here and there where they could have tried to make it work? From both sides, I, I know for a fact uh, that they did try. Um, Dame was not adamant about go get me Joel Embiid, go get me Giannis onto the Kumpo. It was, go show me that you're willing to spend money and use assets that might hurt you to go get a guy. And the Blazers said, okay. And that happened at that last, uh, the, the, not this past draft, the year, the year before, uh, in discussions around OD uh, for Shaden Sharp. Uh, I was told the Raptors wanted significantly more capital, um, which ended up being the Sear Little, Josh Hart in the first. Um, so essentially three first-round picks in the Sear Little. Um, and then uh, again, they, they offered. They made a massive offer from Mikael Bridges uh, at the trade deadline. Uh, like obviously a close confidant and friend of Dane's, but also a player the, the Blazers highly valued. The, the interesting part of all of this was the Blazers were willing to go after guys, but they were only willing to go after guys that they valued as well. So I, I think the, the minimum level was OG and uh, Mikael Bridges, I believe, was on that list. The Zion Williamson stuff, I heard pretty close as far as them having real discussions about it on draft night. But obviously that's a, a, a very significant risk um, when you're talking about flipping the number three overall pick for Zion Williamson. Um, and I think both sides, both Damian Lillard's camp and the Trailblazers, both would have had to kind of plug their nose and hope it worked out. But yes, there, there was a real inflection point of like, no, we want to do this from, from both sides, genuinely. Um, but I, I think the Blazers looked at things and said, we value what Scoot Henderson is to us now and in the long term more than that risk. And whether or not that's fair to Damian Lillard, I think is up for interpretation. Um, but as things currently stand, I don't believe there to be any bad blood between, any, between Damian Lillard or Joe Cronin and the Trailblazers. Now, <laughs> depending on what happens with, with how the trade goes, that could, be, that could change a little bit. So let's go there, because that's the interesting part, I think, about this, Danny, which is, like, if I'm talking about, like, Colt calculating team building, request be damned, I want the best package that's going to be offered to me because I want as many assets, because Portland could be sitting on something awesome here, right? If they get one of those massive mm-hmm. packages on top of Scoot Henderson and Shaden Sharp and all these young guys that they have, this could be the start of something really cool for them, but there's yep. also that aspect of, like, doing, like, right by Damian Lillard, essentially. What is the sense that you're getting? Because, overall, you're looking at the packages that are thrown out there that Miami's going to shape. It's not really that great. You're going to have to have a third team involved. Will they be loyal to a fault and, and make Damian Lillard happy because of what he's done for the franchise, or will they be cold and calculated and just go get the best deal possible? I've got a direct line to both camps. And in one side, Damian Lillard's camp is telling, him, telling folks, anyone out there, it's Miami, Miami, Miami. Uh, the Trailblazers are honestly flagging um, more uh, aggressively than I thought they would uh, in the idea of we're going to take the best deal that's out there. I don't think they're going to send him to basketball Siberia for the best package available. I also, I, it, it's hard for me to see how Joe Cronin could survive in this city if he trades the end of Miami for that package. It's, it's aggressively bad. 
I've had to deal with Miami fans for the last couple of days trying to convince me that Tyler Harrow, who's overpaid and, and not as good as Anthony Simons, so they have in Portland. They, I mean, it's quite literally the Blazers have Anthony Simons at home. You don't need to go out and get another one. So there, there's almost no value in what Miami can send back to Portland. A 28 and 30 pick it's for a franchise over the last 20 years that has been bad twice. And listen, Miami has the benefit of everything their location, their lifestyle. Food, the culture, tax haven, everything. Like they're going to continue to be good, regardless of whether or not they've had picks. They, they just they have been a great run franchise since Pat Riley got there. Eric Spolster is going to keep that going. That's just what they do. So those picks don't have really any value. And then you start talking about the, the kids that are involved. Like Jaime Hawkins might end up being a fine rotation player. Nobody's projecting him to be a star. Nikola Jovic is is a fine player, but this whole idea of like no, you, you can really sell it. It's 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 an absolutely awful package, but there are teams out there, and, and this is you know you, you get these public negotiations where you have Pat Riley and his folks are getting out there. You know, there's only one real option: Miami, of course. That's where he wants to go. But the Utah Jazz are going to get involved. The San Antonio Spurs take a look. The New Orleans Pelicans are going to come take a look, and the bevy of assets that those teams have is so significantly overwhelming to what Miami has. It doesn't take much to get past the Miami offer. I ultimately feel like they're going to do with Damian Lillard what they did with C.J. McCollum and what the Utah Jazz did with Donovan Mitchell, which is, okay, we're not going to give you your choice of where you want to go because the package isn't as good, but here's three choices. These packages are acceptable to us. Which of these three do you like? And then we'll work from there. It's, It's as much noise as there is around Miami, I don't know how Joe Cronin can keep his job if he trades for that package. It's, it's that bad. So you mentioned a couple of the teams I think that are pretty interesting. Utah, I think it would be really fun to watch Dame go there. That would be an interesting team to watch, and there's the assets there. Mm-hmm. One of the teams that you mentioned, is there really truth behind this? Hey, hey you wouldn't mind playing in San Antonio. I, I just feel like if you're, if you're requesting a trade from Portland, you want to go compete. Obviously, Miami's at the top of the list. Why would Damian Lillard be okay playing for San Antonio? The same, the same reason he'd be okay playing San Antonio is the same reason he'd be okay playing in Brooklyn. It wouldn't be about the first six months. It would be about the next 18 months. Yeah. Number one, he has a fantastic relationship with Greg Popovich from Team USA. Uh, Dame is very highly respected by Pop. Um, they, they run a well, well-oiled machine in San Antonio. And here's the way that, that the pitch works. is They have cap space and they have assets. They have a rookie superstar in the making, Victor Wimbanyama. It's not that hard to kind of look at and go, well, they did this with Tim Duncan and Dave Robinson. This whole idea of like, well, they need to get another star. Well, if they have Damian Lillard and they have cap space and they have assets, because to get Dame, you're looking at a package of probably Jeremy Sohan, Keldon Johnson, Doug McDermott, and a, and a couple of those picks. Yep. So they still have Vassell. They still have Wimbanyama. They still have Trey Jones. They still have all of their other picks, plus their own. Plus their own. They can go get a third star because Wemby's on a rookie-scale deal. And it's not hard to all of a sudden be like, I'll go play for Pop. I'll go play with Dame. I've got the superstar freak center, otherworldly big back there that, that might be an absolute stud. It's not hard to start pitching that. And I think it's the same kind of thing that you're looking at with New Orleans. New Orleans is looking at this like, well, maybe we grabbed the wrong guard from Portland. If they can find a landing spot for C.J. McCollum and they flip Damian Lillard for Zion Williamson, 
Now you've got Damian Lillard, Brandon Ingram, Herb Jones, Trey Murphy, and they have a bevy of assets beyond that. So I think if you're Portland, those are the kind of things, the same situation in Utah. You wouldn't get Markinen, you wouldn't get Kessler, you wouldn't get Collins, but what you could get, you know, you can go get Hendricks, you can go get Ochai Abaji, and one of the, or a handful of their 10 picks that they have over the next four years. Like there's, there's not a shortage of offers out there. It's just a matter of how much teams are, are, are willing and wanting to ante up and whether or not Damian Lillard's willing to play dirty like James Harden. I've known Dame his whole career. It's hard to predict in this stuff. I have a hard time believing that he's going to go full Harden, party at the clubs in Los, An- or in Las Vegas with little baby, eat all the chicken wings and show up to camp out of shape, not caring. It's not in his DNA. But can it get contentious enough to maybe force some sort of deal with Miami? <sighs> maybe. It's just, it's just very hard for me to see how that happens. Did you, I was going to ask if, if he would need a, an assurance from Pop that he would stay beyond one year, but did, does Portland really want Zion? Is that, that would be something they would want? I think that's something they would, enter, they would at least entertain. If, if you're going – here's the thing. If you're – if you're looking at this from an asset management perspective, if you were looking at the landscape, is Zion Williamson the best possible asset you could get? You can make an argument that yes, it would be. And if you've got a team of Shaden Sharp, Scoot Henderson, and now Zion Williamson, and your stars are now 19, 20, and 22, it makes a lot more sense. So... I, I think, honestly, for the Pelicans, it would make sense. For them to trade Zion for Scoot Henderson, and I was told it got relatively close in discussion as far as, like, it got real. But if that is the case, if you were kind of holding your nose at it over Scoot Henderson, would you be able to, and could you sell to your fan base in New Orleans, that, look, Damian Lowe's a top 75 player. You know, we know who he is. He's a great leader. Our culture needs some resetting. This is the guy, you know, we love, we love Zion, this goes this way. And in Portland, you can at least tell people, hey, we gave up Damian Lillard, arguably the greatest player in franchise history. We took a real swing, and now the argument is, why didn't you take the swing when he was here? But we took a real swing on a guy that we think can be a top-five player in the league. And I think both teams could sell something like that to their respective owners and fan bases of, of why they went about it. It would be the I think a wildly risky move for both franchises, but it might be one that would pay off for both as well. All right, Danny, we'll get you out of here on this. Uh, what is Portland like right now in terms of the fan base? I don't know if you saw the video of the Starbucks barista at the drive-thru <laughs> taking an order and like just kind of talking through his feelings with whoever was uh-huh. at the drive-thru. Uh, I, I got to feel like it's a weird thing, right? Like the superstar Damian Lillard on his way out, but at the same time, intriguing young core that you can be excited about. Look, there is a section of people that have just been like, you know, they are – they are 2K-minded of, like, gotta go young, gotta go young, yeah. tank, 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 rebuild. It's like, that's not how basketball works. It almost never works out in the long run. Uh, it's how you can gather assets, but so much has to go that way. Um, but the vast majority of fans are going through the five stages of grief. <laughs> like, I mean, it, it, it is. Like, I mean, like I said, I've known Dame his entire career. Um, I, you know, I, I got a heads up that the message was coming, that the, the ask was coming. And even though I knew it was coming down in a couple hours, it still hit me hard, just seeing it out there. Because, you know, for fans, you've he, he always heard him talk about the whole idea of wanting to be here his whole career. That's not a joke. I've talked to the guy for years, off the record, on the record, in the sense of what he wants to do here. 
And one of the things he always says, you know, we, we down Broadway, like, if I won a title here, if I was marching down Broadway in June, there's nobody anybody could ever say about my legacy. Not here, not anywhere. And he, he like, you can see his eyes light up. Because he, for those of your listeners that don't know, Dane is, his whole family is embedded in Oregon. Mom, kids, wife, cousins, nephews, brothers, I mean everybody. The whole family is up here. They have been rooted here for over 10 years. They are a part of this community. When Damian Lillard retires, he's not going back to Oakland. He's coming here. He's got a massive $10 million mansion he's building in the suburbs here with his own roller skating rink, his own private basketball court. Like, this is home. It hurt him to put that request in on Saturday. It is, like, that that request hurt him and it hurt his community. It's Nobody's mad at anybody. It's one of the most amicable divorces I think I've ever seen. Like, everybody just kind of knew. And it didn't make it hurt any less. Like, I, I, I saw grown men cry today. It, it's quite literally that big because Trailblazers are special because they are the only game in town. Shouts to the Timbers and the Thorns and everything. That's great. But the Trailblazers are the, are the identity and they are the DNA of the city. Him being the greatest Trailblazer and him being absolutely the most connected to this community of a player that's ever been, way more so than Clyde Drexler, Mark Saulders, and Bill Walton. You can put those guys combined and they can't carry a torch to Dame in that regard. It's going to take a while for Portland to get over this, and it's kind of a bummer in the sense because Scoot Henderson might be a tremendous player, and that shadow may not be something he ever gets out from under. Yep. That's a good point. Portland, Oregon, again, 1080 The Fan. That's where you can find and uh, listen to uh, Danny Morang, who is with us here today. Danny, we appreciate some time today. Thank you very much, man. Hey, anytime, buddy. Take care. You got it. Danny Morang up on Twitter if you want to give him a follow. All right, we'll take a break. Come back. Grab bag. we got a lot of stuff to clean up from what has been a really, really good show. From the Finley Toyota Studio, it's Coalfield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. This is a classic, right? This is like a classic Taylor Swift song. You belong you to belong me. To this is the one where it's the, the um, uh, what's it called? In the windows, right? Looking at each other? I think so. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. She Wanda, wears Wanda, short Wanda, skirts. Devon knows all the videos. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Has been here the whole time. It's good. We were looking over. It was a good call by you. The best feature. On a song. Oh, yeah. Kendrick Lamar did totally save Bad Blood. Of course he did. And also, I did not, I totally forgot the star studded cast list for that music video with Kendrick Lamar and Taylor Swift. Yeah. Having almost like every, what's the word I'm looking for? Relevant female star from 20 to 45. Yeah. Like in that video. Everyone's in it. <laughs> it's insanity. Because you were watching it and you were like, oh, wait, that's Selena Gomez. Like, yeah, it, get, it gets wilder. Yeah. Like everyone, and even people, you're like, wait, what? Why is Mariska Hardigan <laughs> the whole, Law and Order SVU lady? Why is Ellen Pompeo in this video? Like what? That was crazy. That's wild. Twenty two is a banger too. I might have to listen to some Taylor Swift on the way home. Got a lot of bangers, man. I, I'm you, amazed. You can deny it. People can deny what they want. Like oh, whatever. But she's good. I, I was never a hater, but just watching how much like these tours, like this tour, has opened up my eyes to how famous she is. I, it's incredible what I've watched over the last couple of days. Would you want to be that famous? I want the money. Yeah, I would do despicable things. There was with a that rumor money, that though. she had to travel around in a suitcase. <laughs> okay, stop. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> We're out.